Norma Hollis, the godmother of authenticity. Are, are you authentic? Do you know what that means to, you know, to be authentic, to kind of hear your own voice? She's taken a long journey. She's a, a wonderfully magnetic, intelligent woman who has an incredible, incredible story. Star when she was two. She she talks about what's called walk-ins. She talks about um, changing her personality, getting frustrated with her parents at a particular point. Um, this was a fascinating conversation. I, I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, she has an assessment on her on her website where you, you know, kind of walk through it. I, I did take an authenticity assessment. Take a look in the show notes. Uh, I did get a, a sixty-four uh, out of ninety. I don't know if that what that means, uh, but you know, take a look at it. But uh, orange elephants with red socks. What does that mean? You'll learn very shortly. Just a wonderful conversation about authenticity. Norma Hollis, you're going to really enjoy it. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Joey Pins. People ask me, how did I lose 130 pounds? The quick answer is always discipline. I started my business, wasn't paying attention to my health, was eating too much, you know, drinking too much sweets. My daughter was born. Next thing I know, I'm pre-diabetic, hypertension. I knew something had to change. Discipline. I, like many of you, have faced many challenges in your career, in your family, in your life, in your faith. How did you attack them? How did you approach them? How did you solve them, hopefully? It all had to have some degree of discipline. I'm also asked, how did you found and start a tech business that lasted over 25 years? Discipline. I was committed to it, enjoyed technology, didn't enjoy some aspects of it, but knew it was necessary. Discipline. Our podcast mission, how do we use discipline to better ourselves and society? Join me, please, as I talk to interesting people and discuss how they use discipline in their family and their passion and their careers and how it helped them. Our podcast vision, growth through learning from others. Joey Pins Discipline Conversations. It'll be light and serious. Join us, please. Thank you for consideration. Thanks. I, I really appreciate your time today. Why is it so important to be authentic? Because that's who we are as human beings. We're born in such a way that we're given gifts and talents and purposes and stuff like that. And it's stripped of us. It's, it's the, the longer we live in life, the more it's attempted to be stripped from us and people lose it. And that's part, I think, of the great void that a lot of people feel in life. You know, they, they, they follow the society's thing about just, just follow our instructions and do mm. the job and do this. And we forget we're actually human beings and individual. So I just did a, a, a program. I was on a program last week from, for human resources called Putting the Human Back in Human Resources. So mm -hmm. authenticity is putting the human back into human beings, a similar thing. So often human resources gets a, kind of a bad rap, but it's a very important, important role. So you have this fa fantastic journey where – I, I, we should start when you're two because something remarkable happens there. But at, at 28, you found yourself living kind of the picture perfect world, but you were just unfulfilled. Yes, I was very, I was flat. I was, I was, I became my parents' version of what a black woman should be in America uh, based on their vision, you know. And I had to remind myself I wasn't an adult till I realized, well, they couldn't even vote until they were in their 40s because wow. they were black, you know. And then they, the only re and they couldn't buy a house. Uh, my dad was on a GI Bill, so he bought one of the first houses in 1954, I think it was, when they allowed blacks to have mortgages. So, you know, it's, you know, we think we've gone so far, but you think that in my lifetime, these things were still existing. And now the whole thing is coming back again. It's, it's just amazing. So and that's, that's just from the black perspective, but there's every perspective. And I was young, I think it was just blacks that are persecuted. Every country has persecuted some, some race or religion or whatever, whatever their, their thing is. So most of more of us are persecuted than are not. 
So, um, and it requires our authenticity to step up. I always say if the people lead, the leaders will follow. But we just got to stand up and lead. So that's what I, that's my goal to lead, uh, not on the front lines with the guns, but on the front lines with the word and the message mm-hmm. and the way people up so that those who have the broader or different perspectives can, you know, be inspired to do something about it. Because if we don't do anything, you know, humanity is, is lost. You know, it's, we're, we're at a critical point. I have a whole evolution of humanity perspective and we're at a critical point in the whole um, uh, history of humanity. And it's up to us to speak up and do something about it. That's why uh, I think it's important. Very much so. I was shocked when, when I heard you say that in 1954, I believe your father was a dentist, your mother was a teacher, you're there in Detroit, and they weren't allowed, they were only allowed to get a mortgage through the GI Bill, and you were... You, were, you had a house like in a Jewish neighborhood and it was a little bit of a shift there. And you talk about some of the some of the racism kind of indirect that you felt in school, like not putting name on your board and things like that. You have done your research, haven't you? You know, You're fascinating. I, remember, I remember that very clear, clearly. I think I was in the first grade and we all had a chance to write our names on the board. And when she got to me, she I didn't get a I didn't get my turn. And I was I was smart in school, you know. I got all A's all the way through school. And I guess that that offended them too. I guess, but I did not know, obviously, that young that that was a racist, you know, situation. I remember another teacher, Miss Skelly, in the sixth grade, and she was talking to us about people get to be six foot high. Well, what six feet? I don't know. So I was putting my feet one on top of the other, trying to figure out <laughs> what are you doing. <laughs> I have no reference for that. So how are you teaching me? You're not telling me, well, I'm five something and I know I'm just three or four feet or whatever, you know? So it was inappropriate. It was in incomplete education. <laughs> that something remarkable that I just, I, I've heard you talk about. So at age two, you talk about a walk-in. Please, l- l- can we talk about that? Yes. Um, I've always been told I'm different but I've never understood. And I really just understood it on a deeper level just in the last, actually the last six months, to tell you the truth. But um, when I was two, I really had uh, full consciousness. Now, I didn't have the education that one has in, you know, on the planet. So I, and I was only two, so I didn't know the language. But I do remember before birth receiving my assignment and coming to the planet um, quite clear that I had something to do. I wasn't sure what it was, but I expected my parents to help me hmm. to figure out this is what it is. This is why you're here. This is what you're to do. This is what you will prepare you for this. And I realized in this discourse with my father, a very short discourse, and he was, he tells the story that he's teaching me my name. Right. Her name is Norman. Dear daughter, what's your name? And I'd say, my. He said, no, not my name, your name. Your name is Norma. What's your name? And I, and I look confused. I told you my name. They told me who I am, and I'm trying to tell you. you know, and I'm telling you, and I really probably couldn't pronounce whatever. I don't know what I was trying to say. Later, I put uh, me and I together for my, spelled M-I, not M-Y. Um, but we had this discourse, and I don't remember how it ended, but I just remember I was totally frustrated. I said, golly. It's going to be hard on this planet because they don't understand me at all. What Mm. am I to do? I guess I have to do this thing by myself. And my mother tells the story. Well, now, when you research walk-ins, and walk-ins are energies, spirits, whatever, that enter another human being's body uh, for whatever reason. Most walk-ins come in as adults. And they're very clear that they're walk-ins. I have two friends in particular. One had a program, and I spoke on her first annual conference for walk-ins. And uh, her name is Celeste. She goes by Blue Star. And she tells the story of how her family went to the beach. And she, as the family mother, went out to the ocean. But it was Blue Star that came back from the ocean. And her hair had all turned white just in that one discourse. And she and the family obviously didn't see eye to eye because she was another person. And that severed. I have another friend uh, who, who I don't know if he's gone public with this, so I'm not going to mention his name, 
But in any event, he and his family, most of them and their families don't get along because they're generally adults. They generally have a life already established and they have an income source already established. And it may change, but these things are already intact. And uh, as the new walk-in, they also have consciousness of the person they were before, but they're just now different in terms of their personality. Well, for me, I didn't know any of that. And I didn't know that I was not like everybody else. Uh, So there is something that happens physically is where I was going. So what's happened with me physically is my mother's story is that when I was two years old, my hair changed overnight. Because with black children, our hair is as straight as yours or as, you know, not as curly and kinky as ours is. And mine was like that. And the challenge for black mothers is, what do I do with this hair? It's hard to put a comb through it. You know, now it's so different. We can do anything we want to with our hair. But you couldn't do that society wise, you know, back then uh, when I was a child. And she said she cried or she cried because she knew that she's going to have tangled hair the rest of my life, her life, Mm -hmm. my hair. So that was um, that was the age of two, that, that realization. And I came out of it. I, I think I was in discord with that for about three years. I have a picture that I still have of when we were five. And my sister, who um, is, is just 11 months old, we born in the same year. She in January, me in December. So this was Easter. And my sister and a girlfriend and myself were at this Easter party and we're all dressed in our pretty dresses and our little bracelets and our little hair real cute. And my sister and my friend are looking at the Easter bunny going, Oh, there's an Easter bunny. And I'm going, it's just a man in a suit. (laughs) (laughs) But that's around the time that I figured that this battle is too big for me. And okay, I'll just be my, I mean, I'll just be normal. If you're going to assist, I'm normal. You won't call me by my name okay, fine, I'll just be Norma. And so that's when I just resolved uh, to be Norma. You mentioned at two when you realized that, well, you were, you keep, kept on using the term, the planet, this planet. Do you, do you, what do you visualize there? Do you visualize being outside of the planet and arriving to earth? When you say the planet, do you kind of mean metaphorically? What do you mean by this planet? I mean, this planet versus any others out there in the galaxies. So I have memories of before birth, of being in a cocoon-like something with um, a soulmate who ended up being my husband on this planet. And um, I was awakened and I was uh, uh, escorted down the hallway and taken to a room and uh, told what my assignment is to be here on planet earth. I was given some choices. Um, did I want the winter of my life first or last? And I wanted Hmm. the winter first so I could enjoy the summer. And I remember having three, being given three choices for parents. Um, one would allow me to do the job I need to do and get out quickly. The second would be kind of intermediate intermediate. And the third would take a lot longer, but and it would be a lot harder, uh, but it would have the biggest impact. And I picked that one. I remember somehow in my history that I didn't do something right in another lifetime or something. And so by taking the harder route, it would erase all of that and put me at a better position. So that is a vision that I have held all of my life. I've told my parents about it many times. They never have ever, 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 ever understood or accepted me. In fact, at one point, I think my mother called in a distant family member to interview me to see what is, who is this child? What is she? What is up with her? And I think the advice that they were given was to ignore it because, and I think the reason which, of course, they didn't tell me. But in hindsight, I think they said that because it's too hard and it's too dangerous. You know, you think of Dr. King and others that speak their mind in such a way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they don't, they account, they do or do not. I mean, I think Dr. King would have been like that middle, that middle opportunity. Mm-hmm. Okay. That when you come in and, you know, make your impact and leave. And he's had, he's had, that was my, he's had massive, you know, uh, success from that. But, um, 
I chose the longer version, which is, uh, it has been really uh, challenging and it's been a very lonely and walk-ins usually are, are lonely because they're not understood. I remember um, as a child, I was always called different. I remember a guy that I met, I guess I was in junior high or high school. You're different. What do you mean different? I don't know. Okay, that's funny. You're just different. And now, uh, then I went from different to strange and now they call me weird. So <laughs> whatever. Sounds like great compliments to me. I think so too. <laughs> I, it is, you know, it's my life experience. It may not be yours. You may not understand it, but I cannot deny right. my experience. So you can learn from it or not. You know, it's up to you. But I can't deny, you know, what, and you can't deny your knowing. I mean, that's that's called, you know, really being that makes you crazy. Mm. No, you're not gonna make me crazy. I I know what I know what I know. So it has been confirmed a lot. And when you. Like when you explain to me like what happened, where you say you were in a cocoon-like, you know, status, you were open and you were guided down the hall and you were given these given these choices. So, are, are you humanoid? Is it is it a hall like in a university? Is is it is it celestial? Is it out of the planet? Like, can you kind of frame that for me? I have always thought that it was heaven. Hmm. That has always been my understanding. Um, after the instructions, I was escorted back to my family, whatever, and they asked me, well, where are you going? Where are you going? And when I told them Earth, many of them said, oh, my, it's hard down there. And some said, I'm going with you. I'll help you. Some said, I ain't going. Just call me if you need me. Just stay in touch. Hmm. So uh, I remember that. However, that's always been my view. And I've written, I have this uh, book of poetry that I uh, wrote I, uh, and this was, um, I wrote these poems in my 20s. I did not understand them. I set them aside. I pulled them out 20 years later. I understood them more. I separated the ones that I thought were valuable and turned it into a book with five chapters. One is my commissioning, my assignment, if you will. Another one is uh, spiritual awakenings, my awakening period, and then reality. It's always been a question to me. So what is real? Who's reality? You know, what's the perspective? And then it's destiny. And then it's Thanksgiving. Because a lot of what I was writing to myself was uh, empowering myself for my destiny, which I'm still not exactly clear what it is, except that I know that my assignment is to help people understand God in new ways. That way, the way we think God is, is not exactly how God is. That's what I understand is my assignment. And what I said when I when I got clear in the assignment, I said, I'll do that, but you gotta give me proof. Because I this I know about this world enough to and I was old enough to know that the world is crazy or has crazy tendencies. And that if I go and say, God sent me here to tell you this, yeah, right, okay, on one hand and bang bang on another hand, you know, depending on how it goes. So I said, you know, you I can't do that unless you give me proof. Well, I got the proof now, so I don't have an excuse anymore. So <laughs> here it is. Yeah, and that's where we get into the uh, orange elephant and the red socks. But um, I think that uh, it's so fascinating to me, and we'll get to that in a moment, Norma, but uh, I've never had this kind of out-of-body, I guess I'll call it an out-of-body experience, but I don't know what the proper term is, where you you also talk about your your husband and your soulmate, and, you know, I I know what happened there, and, 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 you know, my condolences, but it's uh, it's fascinating to me that you can continue to revisit, and it's still clear as day to you. Do, have you met others? I, I guess it really kind of falls into the walk-in community as well, which I'm unfamiliar with before learning about you. Uh, it's very fascinating to me. I don't know anything about it. Yeah, well, it is a huge, uh, a growing community, and uh, it's growing for one reason. Um, there's three or four people that I have just in the last three to six months uh, have come across. Um, I was I was invited by another podcast person who talks about Lisa Cherney, who talks about um, spiritual journeys. And she heard me on a presentation I did on some organization and wanted to be, be her guest. And it was on her show that I, for the first time, admitted I was a walking. I've never said it publicly I should say I've said it publicly when I was speaking, when I first started speaking about 12, 20 years ago, but it was so un, 
received and scared people. And I said, that ain't time yet. So let me just hush it up. But it's time now. So since then, I have come across multiple people. So I'm going to give you some names. One is Dolores Cannon. Dolores Cannon, she's no longer with us, but she has a book called The Three Waves of Volunteers. And through that, I recognize myself um, because I've always said that I was born 30 years early and that I was Mm -hmm. born. And this is knowledge that that I have that's part of my assignment that's coming from what I call my unseen supporters. That's my term for unseen supporters. So Dolores Cannon shares that the first wave of these, not that the, not the first walk-ins, but the first wave occurred in after 1945. So I'm giving you like a real history lesson now from um, a whole different perspective. So in 1945 is when the atomic bomb hit, right? Hmm. And um, the unseen supporters that I now, I'll, I'll get to who they are at the end of this, but they um, have councils and there's more than one council and they've been around for millenniums and they made the agreement that they would not interfere with life on any of the planets. You know, we used to thought that the thought was that the earth is flat and now we know not only is the earth round, but there are multiple planets in this and we are in a universe and the universe is in a galaxy and there are many galaxies. So to think that we are all there is, is totally malarkey. So it's huge. It's huge. It's huger than any of us have any ability mm. to understand. So in that hugeness are these uh, uh, councils of energies that uh, are like, um, I guess, the police of the galaxy, or maybe not police, but the observers or the reporters. You know, you always wonder how can God be with all of us without having some help. So again, my job is to help people understand God in a new way. So thank you for the opportunity. So um, these councils got together and after 1945, because the atomic bomb was, was dangerous and it was the initiation of nuclear and other things that are happening now. And they said, well, we know we agree we cannot interfere. However, what can we do? What we can do is put our DNA in human bodies. Okay. And so that's what they've been doing since the late 1940s. Hmm. And that was the first wave, the pioneers, of which I'm one of the pioneers. I was born in 48. I am one of the pioneers. I knew that. I knew that I was born 30 years early. I knew that I was born at it. And I went through things to help others understand this new, understand whatever, uh, and the ones that are coming. Um, Then uh, the second wave came in. They're in their 50s, 40s, 50s now, uh, 50s, 60s, whatever. The second wave's role is more to be the inter intermediaries, uh, to just be, so people could see them and they have a little extra powers and little extra abilities. But the third wave is the ones that are going to make a difference. That's some of the kids coming in now. The third, we may have heard of crystal children or indigo children, hmm. and that's these children. Um, and they're coming in in huge waves right now. Um, and they have superpowers. I saw a picture of um, a TikTok someone sent of a baby in a diaper going upstairs with a bag on each arm, like grocery, not holding the rail and talking to his mommy while he's walking. Okay, that's like an awful lot of multitasking for a child who can't be more than two years old wow. to do. So, and he looked like he was maybe 18, 19, 20 months, not even quite two years old yet. Uh, but these children are coming in and they're educating their parents for parents that will allow themselves to educate because parents always believe I'm the parent. I know what's going on. But these mm. kids come in. They come in with a mission. They know why they're here. <clears throat> they're, um, uh, I learned about them in the late 80s, a gentleman named Joseph Chilton Pierce. And uh, he um, wrote a book called The Magical Child many years ago. He recognized these children and he talked about how you can recognize them. Uh, back then, because they came in with a chain, their cranial, the brains. If you look at human uh, evolution and look at the physical changes that we made over over time, we're in the beginning stages of physical changes in in the cranial, in the head. So these children come in and their foreheads are wider than their nose. So with me, you know, it's flat, but with them, it goes more where the top of your hand is out. 
And that's they're putting more energy in the uh, pineal gland, the pineal gland, so that there's more spiritual connection. And then for some of them, it grows on this side. If you look, if you think about some of the alien pictures they have out there, they, that's how their heads are. Because there is knowledge out there. You know, we don't know how many times they burn the books. They burn the books again now, right? So how many times before have they burned the books? Because all of this is not old knowledge. It is it's not new knowledge. It's old knowledge hmm. that's suppressed and hidden. So going back to the atomic bomb, um, that's when this group started. And the intent for those of us who have this shared DNA, and some of them are uh, extraterrestrials. Some of them are from the angelic realm. Some of them know what planets they're from. They're planets like uh, the Pleiadians. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. The Arcturians. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. Uh, Sirius. Um, Orion. There's a lot of different places that these people are coming from. Some of this you can get from Dolores Cannon. You can get her book from, I, I would suggest going to Audible and getting the three waves, the volunteers. And because on Audible, she was a hypnotist and she would hypnotize these people who have had um, ET like connections. Wow. And in her, uh, and so her audit, her, her book is about these uh, hypnosis and she has a male voice who's the client each time. So you can tell the difference of when she's talking and when she's hearing from somebody. Wow. And so by listening to that, it has had me thinking because some of the things she talks about one of the, uh, they talk about going to the library. I said, the library, maybe that's where I went. And I remember going, I made a left turn and a right turn and I was getting this information. And I remember looking at a wall and looking at, you know, the future. I was given, actually, I was told the first 50 years of my life and what it would, would compose. I wouldn't go beyond 50 because beyond 50 is when my husband was murdered. And I didn't, they didn't, I did not need to know that then because then I would live that way. And I was always anxious when I get past 50, when I get past 50, you know, that was always an anxiety that I had. But uh, these unseen supporters that I talk about in my life and I write about in my books and my work, I don't know, because another name to look up is Mary Rodwell. Mary Rodwell, she writes about the new humans. She uh, goes around the world talking to parents and children who are these new children coming in. And she asked me the question when I did have a chance to talk to her, whether I have one unseen supporter or do I have a team? And I have a team. I have, I don't know their names. She asked me their names. I don't know. I never asked them. I didn't know I, I didn't know I could, you know, I didn't even consider that. But I always refer to they, my friends know this about me because they're very much the same. They're not as, they don't have the memory. I have one girl, uh, we've been friends. I actually, we met at church where I met my husband. I saw her and I said, that's her. And I went up to her and I said, hi, with my hand on, I said, hi, I'm Norma and we're supposed to be friends. She said, oh, okay, hi, I'm Tracy. And we've, so I asked her decades later, what did you think when I said that? She said, I thought we're supposed to be friends. Hmm. <laughs> and we've been best of friends. We may not talk for months and it's just like nothing has changed. And she often says we're the same person in different bodies, wow. which many of us are in many ways. So, um, so anyway, um, now that we have current, um, oh, let me just back up a minute. If you do, I did the research for my TV show and found out that in in the late '40s is also when uh, more extraterrestrials were observed, hmm. particularly in Russia, and that's research. That's also when uh, more walk-ins started coming in. I didn't. I have more things I've written, and I don't remember right now what they were. But a number of things related to this started occurring in the late 40s. So that validates, in my mind, the 1945 with the, with the atomic bomb and the things that needed to be done. So the, the current, one of the ladies that is written is a book by Sheila Seppi, S-E-P-P-I. And so I bought that book right away because she did interviews with a lot of people, 15 people who considered themselves to be walk-ins. And she also interviewed a number of people, including Mary Rodwell, who are professionals in this whole industry, in this whole body of knowledge. And I read it voraciously and I found a lady there whose experiences were just like mine. I had, a, I had an orange marker and a yellow marker, a yellow what I want to remember and orange. Ooh, that's my experience. That's my experience. So hers is like filled with, and we talked and we've met. 
And so she had a message on her website that in from February that she received from her unseen supporters. And she too is from, she considers herself from the angelic realm as well. And uh, in that message, she says that the powers that be, the unseen supporters are not, are going, they're going, they're considering whether or not they're going to interfere with the potential nuclear threat that we're facing right now. So for humans not to be scared uh, and to be alarmed because they are paying attention and they have plans because the deal is if, if they mess with earth, the impact that, that impacts other planets and maybe even galaxies, I mean, who knows? Hmm. They don't want that to happen. So they are positioned, uh, and I don't, I don't know, I don't talk. I mean, if they talk to me, I don't recognize it. But if someone's, I have a team talking to me and guiding me, and I always, I always been talking to them all my life. And then they, okay, okay, y'all, what you want me to do now? What's the next assignment? You know, how are you going to help me? You know, uh, and if I don't follow, because what my problem is, I move too fast. And I, okay, here I go, here I go. And if I go too fast, they stop me. I remember. Coming, I went to a. Uh, I was coming down the stairs, going to the market, and fell. And I tell people I didn't fall. I was pushed, and my foot hit onto my stair and broke my foot. Huh. And I was laid up for six months. And so, okay, fine, I get it. I slow down, slow down. I couldn't drive a car. I couldn't walk, put any pressure on it. And I live on four levels. I had to stay on the fourth level. That's where the bathrooms are. So you know, it was that's, <laughs> that was life for a few months. And then two years ago, or maybe two years, that was 2014, 2019, same thing. I'm moving too fast. I'm running. And I don't generally run. I, this girl said, if you do this, you're whatever. And so I, I run one block. I got like 50 steps, fell, broke my arm, you know, for a right arm. I can't write. So I got to slow down. So um, I have had a, I've had another experience that slowed me down for about three years. And now I've been assigned to get up and go. And I made that decision about two weeks ago. And in two weeks, every day something's happening. Every day. It's like it's time. The gates now have opened and said, you know, you've done your work. You, you've got your proof. You prepared for it. Um, you're going on this stage, going on that stage. You're doing this. You're doing that. You're going on Joey's show. You're doing this. You're going, I, I didn't know we we're going to talk about this. So I guess that's them saying, here we go, Norma. So here we go. <laughs> I'll pause there and let you have your turn. <laughs> yes, there's so much. And it, it's so fascinating. Uh, going back to this walk-in, you mentioned that Celeste went in the water. As Celeste came back out as Blue Star, her her, her hair changed. You had something similar at, at two years old. Can you just, what are some other examples? What are, when you, you remember vividly all this happening at two years old and you, in your physical body, did it change? Did your emotions change? Did your personality change? I think my personality changed because I got upset. I got pissed. Y'all don't understand me. You can't, right. you don't, you're not helping me. So I'm sure I was a little defiant. They call the two terrible twos, you know, my, my education's in early childhood, uh, child and family life sciences, and they always call the two. The, well, heck, yeah, it's terrible. You don't understand me. So, of course, I'm going to get upset because you mm. don't understand me. I'm trying. Wouldn't you be upset? You know, mm. you're trying to. I got the knowledge here. It's up here in my brain, and I'm trying to give it to you. And now, you know, you're not even trying to understand me. Mm. You know, you don't, you don't understand that you can understand me if you just try. So it was just, you know, of course, it's frustrating. I'm sure it changed me somewhat. Yeah. I also got changed at eight. We haven't got to eight yet, but that's when I had this terrible thing in my ear. That's right. That changed me. That changed me big time. Anytime you get feeling like acid in the inside of your head, of course, it's going to change you. So yeah, you know. Yeah, those- you, you, your parents had to tie you down. You were allergic to the antibiotics, and it it stayed with you for quite a while. I had ear infections for fifty five straight years. Sometimes wow. more than once a year. I always took antibiotics. Usually oral antibiotics. I took oral antibiotics for 40 straight years. My body was totally, uh, the ecology of my body was totally changed. But I also found out that these people who are like me in the first, second, or third wave, we have special diets. We're mostly vegans, you know, and I've changed my diet so many times that I'm, I am pretty much vegan now because my body won't tolerate anything else. It just, it just, I remember one day I, I cooked a turkey for my family and I could not eat it. 
because I had to stop eating meat. Uh, one of my first uh, assistants, my first secretary many years ago, you got the strangest diet. You change up all the time. She'd always say, every time I think I understand you, you change up on me. <laughs> now, also, the other thing is that I've had many walk-ins walk in and out of me. So this book of poetry that I wrote um, speaks to that because it was happening very actively around that time. And the, many of them walked in and out to write my authenticity process, the program that has nine dimensions where I study human nature from personal, professional, and spiritual perspectives for 30 years. Well, they were walking in and out of me, uh, guiding me and directing me because I had the experience and then I wrote about it and they would guide me all the way around. Hmm. And then when I finished writing it, I told my, my operations manager now that I said, they just said, my work is done. I'm out of here. And they left. And then a new group came in. So that's all right. <laughs> but yeah, they've been switching up. They've, I've been totally uh, accepting of it. Um, it's frustrating sometimes because um, unlike the, the walk-ins that came in as adult that had income sources there, I never really had an income source. I was thinking today that as long as I've been in business, which has been now for 25 years, I've never had an investor. It's always been just me and my credit cards and God and a whole mm. lot of hope and prayer. So, uh, but they remind me, you've never been without a house. A mortgage has always been paid and it's been a mortgage, not rent. And I've always had a car and I've never missed food. I might've missed some trips or been some other things that some people find are great. But I also learned recently that there's two types of happiness. There's hedonic happiness which is pleasure from things you spend in your money and it's not long lived. And there is eudaimonic happiness, which is based on purpose and meaning and is long lasting. And that's the happiness that I live with. When you were writing this poetry and you had these walk-ins, could it also be perceived as just, you know, as artistic kind of muses that, that, you know, that artists um, encounter uh, and, helped you i mean how much of that guidance the poetry was you and how much it was these walk-ins or these muses i don't know i really don't um know the definition of muse i've heard the term many times but i do believe that um all of us have a certain level of creativity mm. some of us more than others and those of us that make the choice to allow our creativity to guide us and lead us are, um, are clearly the ones who are part of like me and whether they realize it or not. Um, one of the books that I want to refer to, another one is Pendulum, and that's by a guy named Michael Drew. And this is not on the esoteric side. Michael Drew is a literary agent who has probably 100 books now on the New York uh, New, uh, Times 100, top 100 list, whatever. Mm. But he and his uh, uh, business, his writing partner researched human nature for, for 3,000 years. And they say that uh, we have a pendulum shift every 40 years, that we go from 40 years focusing on me and how great I am and what I can do by myself, and then we get tired of that and we go to we and how great the we are. But the point that I want to make is he says that the entrance of each cycle of the pendulum is brought on by the musicians, and he went back, and I'm not, a, I'm not a music, that's not one of my gifts, so I don't know all the music he's talking about. But the current cycle we're in started in 2003, and I don't know what the music was then. So around 2033, or 43 rather, when this 40 years is over, you're going to start looking around 2033, 35, because that's a 10-year transition to the next round. But by 2043, the music, the musicians will be telling you what's next. And I think the artists tell you that also. They come next. They're they're drawing it. They're getting the images, and they're they're showing it in the art. Uh, we, the music is more widely, you know, shared, so you get it that way more. But yes, I do think that they have walk-ins also. I think all the I call myself an artist, but I'm an intellectual artist because mm. I write programs. I don't I don't do art. My art teacher in sixth grade told me I'd be a great artist if I applied myself, and I said no. God has something else for me to do, but I'm going to marry an artist. And he looked at me like I was crazy. And I did marry an artist. So. <laughs> you were spot on. 
<laughs> and then you were presented with some with some kind of with some destination uh with some kind of purpose but you questioned it and you wanted proof and i alluded to that before the elephant and the red socks can you can you elaborate on that well when i was eight uh and nine again that's when i had this hole in my eardrum it came from a cold from my, my weak eustachian tube and the antibiotics did not work they either gave me hives or they just didn't work so then uh, I had to go in the hospital to do a culture on the ear. They couldn't do a culture at the lab at that time. And uh, they only found one thing that would work and it had to be applied topically in the doctor's office. And when they did, it felt like acid on the inside of my head. Mm. And I had to go back and have it done again and again. And that was followed by very uh, persistent earaches. They called doctors, the doctors, they give me pills, drop shots, nothing would stop the pain. I was in Buffalo, New York, visiting my grandparents, and the earaches came. And at that point, I was so frustrated. I said, uh, the men doctors can't help me. Can you find a woman doctor? And they did, and she couldn't help either. Mm -hmm. um, but then my grandfather, and then my mother says, call Papa, who was a Baptist minister. So he took me in a room, and he put me on the bed, and we talked, and he told me that God must have something important for me to do to give me so much pain at a young age. And uh, would I do it? And I said, can I ask God of one thing first? And he said, what's that? I said, can I ask God to give me the training for what I'm supposed to do before? And I thought, I said, before I'm 30 or by the time I'm 30, so I could have a life of my own. And um, he chuckled just for a split second. And then he said, he's sure God would do that. And then he prayed over my ear and I never had, I went to sleep and never felt that level of pain again. And uh, by the time I was 30, I was, I figured this is what I'm doing. I'm directing his start programs. You know, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. But, uh, you know, God's sense of humor, the training actually started at around 30. It didn't end then. So mm -hmm. that's the 30 years of training. But in any event, with all the pain that I had, my parents, you know, as no, they were engrossed in their life. You know, dad was trying to feed his family of four and mom was trying to be the socialite in the community. And you know, I was interfering, not, not interfering, but it was, you know, it just, they didn't have the understanding. And that's when these voices started speaking to me. And um, I said to them, if you're the voice I should listen to, you got to prove it to me. So in the next week, let somebody walk by me with red socks and let somebody else mention the word elephant in a conversation. And if I, if those things happen in a week, then I'll believe you, maybe. And sure enough, that happened. And then I asked again and again for different things over the next four or five weeks, and they kept showing up, and they said, do you believe us now? And I said, yes. And so that began a very uh, intimate relationship I have with my unseen supporters. So um, what did you ask? You asked me about the proof. Oh, the, so, um, the Red Sox and Elephant. Uh, Thanksgiving Day 2014, about then, a, a friend comes to my house for Thanksgiving wearing red socks. I said, oh, that's interesting. I said, well, let's see if I hear, if I hear the word elephant in a week. And if I do, then it's going to mean, it must mean this, whatever. And um, I heard the word elephant on Family Feud, which I do watch occasionally. I said, well, it's not really personal, but maybe that works. But then the following Thursday, a friend had a presentation and I went to it and she talked about how we get stuck in our ways like an elephant's tail. You put it on a stick and he goes in a circle and never leaves that circle. I said, there it is. There's the confirmation. But the real confirmation mm -hmm. came. I may have already had it, but I didn't realize it until June of 2019. I was about to do a live event with people I had trained in my process. And I have this, orange is my branding color. And I went to my, uh, my body of orange things to see what I'm gonna take with me at this trip. And this elephant, uh, this gift was looking at me that my husband had bought me several years later. And he told me that, I don't know why I bought this, but I, I just had to buy it for it. I couldn't walk by it without buying it. So here, here it is. I said, thank you. And I wasn't in that mindset at the time. So I just put it with my orange things. But that day in June, June 19th, 2019, or thereabouts, I looked at that gift and I said, and it said to me, I'm your mascot, I'm your mascot. 
And I looked at it and I said, oh my gosh, you are orange, you are an elephant, and you have red socks on. I mean, how amazing is that? I have to show you. I don't know if your audience can see or not, but there he is. Wow. <laughs> orange elephant with red socks. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> so that's my mascot. <laughs> oh. Uh, fascinating. So I took your authenticity assessment. Okay. Uh, I got 64 out of 90 and I'm not, you know, it's, it's subjective. I don't know how I, you know, if I answered it, you know, I was, I was honest with it, but you, you have this grid that you kind of alluded to before, and this is 30 years of research and there's an inner voice you talk about an outer voice and expressive voice and, um, you know, then of course there's, you know, what you think, what your communication, what you do. And it, uh, I, I like to go over them for, for our audience so they can dive deeper, but the real kind of three questions you want people to ask themselves is, you know, what am I going to wear? What am I going to eat? What time is it? And that response that you hear from yourself will really dictate how authentic you are. Can you elaborate on that? Well, uh, it's not how authentic you are. That relates only to the first dimension. Of the grid. And the first dimension is intuition. Right. And intuition is the foundation, inner voice is your, uh, is the birthplace of your authenticity. And what I tell people, I ask people, how intuitive do you think you are? Whether you feel you are intuitive. Whenever I do a presentation, how many of you think you're intuitive? They raise their hand, they don't. And I tell them, I can tell that every one of you are intuitive hmm. and that you talk to yourself. Huh? And I know that by looking at you because you came here with clothes on. Hmm. And so they laugh, of course. And I say, because there are three things you ask yourself every day. You ask yourself, what time is it? What am I going to wear? What am I going to eat? Everybody asks those questions every day, sometimes multiple times a day, time with more than eating multiple times a day. Hmm. And you always answer. So if you look at, if you examine how the answer comes to you, then you have a clue of how your inner voice speaks to you, how your intuition addresses you. So does it come as a thought, as a feeling, as a rolling through the rushes? Is it in your gut, in your arms? Is it a memory? Is it a, a taste in your mouth? I, I give an example of this dress, this suit that I bought. It's a beautiful orange St. John suit. I had just lost 30 pounds and I went to the resale shop to see what I could find. And this orange size eight suit fit like a glove and I'd never worn a size eight before. And I bought that suit and I knew I looked good. And that suit is dirty. I can't get it clean. It's the sleeves have frayed, but I will not give it away hmm. because I wear it with jeans any day because it makes me feel wonderful. And when I feel that kind of wonderful, that's when I pay attention because I feel my spirit is talking to me. My voice is talking to me. So when you get that kind of connection, you get more clarity uh, because clarity is what we, what we uh, seek in life. Uh, life clouds us with values that are not our own, with objectives that, we, that are not really true to us, with paths of life that don't necessarily fit who we are and what we're here to do. And we don't know other than to buy it hook, line, and sinker. And we do. And that's when um, things don't work and we get confused. Why did I follow the rules like I was 28? I did what you said. You told me to get married. I got married. You told me to get a good job. I did. You told me to get a nice car. I did. You told me to marry somebody with money. I did. Did all those things. But mm. I'm happy. This, this is not it. But I had the. I didn't have babies, and I didn't have. Uh, uh, I did have a property, but you know you can sell those. But I didn't. I didn't dig my roots in deep enough uh, that I couldn't leave, and I did. And that's one thing I'll say about my life. Difficult that it's been. I have never been. Um, Mm, bought by anybody or anything. Mm. I never worked for a corporation. They didn't buy me because uh, they buy your time. They buy your life. You know, they call you. They need my girlfriend work for NBC News. They, they call. She runs. You know, that's they pay you good and you can depend on it. But, you know, you lose a lot of other things. So my life is very idomonic, as I mentioned before, because I, I, I took the path of purpose and meaning. And that's different than the path of, of the money. So you pay a price for it, but you also gain something for it, from it too. So. And into in your inner voice, you have intuition, you have integrity, you have inspiration. These are all things you have inside your inner voice. Yes, they're all in, they're all a part of you. Your integrity, 
your value system is, uh, you know, each dimension is very important. But uh, one of the questions I ask people when I go around and, or on Zoom and talk to people, and I'll ask your audience too, is what is one value that as a society we ought to agree on? Hmm. And nobody can answer that. Nobody can find one. They'll say love, empathy, compassion. But I always bring up drug traffickers and not so much, or human traffickers, more human traffickers. There's, where's the compassion in that? Not in the women that you're trafficking. There's no compassion there. Uh, and I think that's, that's what we're missing a lot in the world. I think that's why Ukraine is successful because they have one value. You're not taking my land, hmm. no matter what. I'll die for it. You're not taking my land. And that's a value that they're living by. So I try to encourage families and organizations and teams to find a value that they can all rally around because that there's strength in numbers when you're on the, when you have the same value. If you think about your friends, uh, your friends are friends because you share values and the ones you, you no longer have the exes, the ex-wives, husbands, friends, whatever, probably because there was a values conflict. That's how important values is. And, and when you know your values, you make better decisions because you know you, you're clear on what's right and wrong for you. So you make better decisions. So that's why values and integrity is important. Where does religion and authenticity, do they, they seem to kind of converge when I hear you talk? Can, can an atheist still be authentic? Absolutely. Um, and I, um, I do not consider myself religious. I do consider myself very spiritual Spiritual. because uh, I did work for the Catholic church for uh, a few years. And during that period, I did a lot of research and I found uh, documentation of 31 different interpretations of the Bible. And, you know, anytime if you, I don't know languages, but I've seen languages interpreted and two people in the same interpretation could have a different meaning for it. Yeah. And so I think the Bible, and I also, as a black woman, recognize that or have heard and researched that the time that the King James Bible was written in the 1600s was when they were uh, transporting slaves. Hmm. And so the Bible was written for uh, the control of the slaves. I was in Washington, D.C. once uh, staying with a friend and at her speaking engagement with a few other people. And there was a, a white man there who was talking about his Greek Orthodox religion. And wasn't it a wonderful thing that we gave the slaves the Bible so they could know God? I said, dude, they had their own religion. They didn't need the Bible. They had a, they had an intimate connection, not an intellectual connection. I remember working for the Catholic Church, and I and that's no, you know, I, I respect it entirely. But I, but, I, but the comments that they gave me were very difficult because I was still in my own, uh, you know, figuring it out. And um, one thing they said to me was, I'm not supposed to tell people, I'm not supposed to ask them what do they think. I'm supposed to tell them what they're supposed to think. Wow. I said, what? I've since learned that this was just the people there, not the religion itself. Mm. And then they also told me, these same people, that my view of God was too broad for the Catholic Church. Well, I thought Catholic meant universal. How can I be broader than that? Maybe you guys are too narrow. Anyway, that was a three-year job, and I didn't, it didn't last long. And it, I did not like it because uh, it put me in a box. And I just, I'm not, I'm not in that. I don't, God's not in a box that I know of. I went to another church, and they wanted um, that I thought about joining with a friend of mine. And their training, the first thing the guy said was, Oprah's going to hell. Huh? Why? Well, because on her show, she said, there's many paths up the mountain. And she, her path should only be Jesus. Well, but hold on a minute. Um, um, you know, there's, God has all these flowers. They're all flowers. They're all different colors. They're all different types. So isn't the same with people? In this church, we only honor Jesus. What about the Dalai Lama? You know, they go through all this research to find out who's bringing the message again. Where is he? In this church, we only follow Jesus Christ. And I mean, with due respect, um, that's such closed thinking. because, And that's part of my role to share that uh, God is not closed up. He's all open and broad or he or she or it, whatever. But the energy that is God uh, is shared with all of us in ways we don't even understand. We've never seen God or 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 connected, but, you know, it's bigger and broader. And we thought the world was flat. 
So, you know, whatever you may be thinking, you might be narrow and just, you know, be a little broader. So we know now that there's, in my lifetime, we found out there's galaxy. We didn't know that before, you know, so what are we going to find out the next lifetime? There's so much, and all the books have been burned. Mm-hmm. They keep burning the books, <laughs> which is a disservice because when they start telling the truth, people are going to freak out. That's right. You know, on the podcast, we talk a lot about discipline. I lost a lot of weight when I was younger. You know, I, I started business. I got to 340 pounds. The doctor said, if you don't lose your weight, you're not going to see your daughter graduate. I had a kind of come to Jesus moment, and I just changed the way I did everything as far as, you know, exercise. I kind of went back to what I know, and uh, I lost 130 pounds. And when people ask me today how I did it, they want some kind of quick answer. And I and the quick answer is discipline, uh, discipline and focus. I just, you know, prioritized and got discipline. Does discipline play a role in authenticity? Yes. It's not easy to be authentic because you give up a lot of the things that the world thinks you're supposed to have. You know, I was just, I'm just out of a three-year relationship that I had with a, with a gentleman that was really, really, really nice guy. You know, we really, um, it was comfortable, but part of the problem was that um, he, his comment was that you believe, it's not important that I believe what you say, but that you believe what you say. And that's just not enough for me. Because if we're going to be in a relationship, I want you to believe, uh, have a deeper level of belief. And he also said he did not know what his purpose and never thought about his purpose. How can you be around me for three years and never think about your purpose? I don't get that. And his friends definitely call me weird. You know, uh, she's just weird. Well, fine. I'm about to get weirder. So this is not going to work. <laughs> so, but that's a discipline. I mean, it's for me, um, I've, I've lived what I call a very austere life because I haven't gone for the hedonic way that most people live their life. You know, I mean, this gentleman, while very nice and, and very resourceful, I look around, I have lots of things he's given me over the, over the three years, but I never wanted things. It's not what I wanted. You know, that's what he offered. And of course, I accepted them as I look around. It's like, so what am I going to do with it? I got no room for it. You know, I mean, it's like things like that. These are practical things, you know, I I think about. So um, it's been very austere because the things that turn most people on uh, just don't turn me on. And it does make relationships more difficult. I mean, I've had two husbands. Um, The second husband, I did meet at church, the Catholic church. And we were, that was the one in the cocoon with me. So, uh, but there were other problems because when, with two of us with a cocoon mindset, we got to get on the planet, you know, because <laughs> the planet is not about cocoons. It's about walking around and making some money, you know, and paying the bills and stuff like that, you know. So, but um, as they have always told me, I don't have to worry about money unless I choose to. And I try to choose not to. Uh, and when I don't worry about it, it's a lot easier. It comes, it flows better. But uh, I, like I said, I've never been without uh, a car and I, have, I drive a very nice car and I've never been without uh, a place to live and I've never missed a mortgage payment. So, I mean, you know, what's to complain? There is none. Have you considered yourself a disciplined person, even with walk-ins as a child of kind of this, these out-of-body experience? Have you ever considered yourself with a deep self-discipline? My uh, longest uh, friend since junior high school calls me the most disciplined person she's ever known. Wow. So, and she even goes back at my uh, 70th birthday party. My sister came and she got up there and said how I partied my way through school, through college. Because when I came to visit her, I partied the whole weekend. And my girlfriend was there and she stood up and she said, Judy, you got it all wrong. I, this girl was always in the room. I got to study. She was always studying. I was the one partying. So she cleared that up. So yes, I've always been very, uh, I even tell men, as I told the one I just told you about, you know, uh, my number one priority on the planet is doing this that I need to do. And nothing will stop me from it. I'm not going back where I came from, not having accomplished or at least done my gosh darn best to do what it is they keep telling me I need to do. So, um, you know, so that takes a lot of discipline. It takes a lot of saying no. You know, I have friends that went to the Hollywood Bowl on on Sunday to watch the 
the new, I had three opportunities to go. I turned them all down because I had something to do. I had to put my green screen up because I got something else that's coming up. And that's really, I'm having fun doing that. I don't need to be out there, you know, spending money, you know, for three hours and then go through all the crowds to get there. And, you know, for what I can, I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't, you know, I don't, you know, so you, I've learned, uh, well, like my friend says, I've, I learned, I've learned to manage. I learned to manage my life, my resources, my, my mission. I manage it well and still, um, and live a very, I enjoy my life. You know, I mean, it's not for everybody, but it's definitely for me. I mean, I crafted it, so it's mine. I, I, I claim it. Absolutely. And when you walk people and organizations, you have everything's available up on your uh, up on your web- website with with great contact uh, content, Norma. But when you walk people through the grid, uh, you know, to the kind of the nine dimensions that you talk about, um, is discipline required on their behalf to, to pursue and to follow? I don't use discipline in my language with them. I, mm. I, I don't, I don't, I've never used the word discipline with them. They create their own discipline. They create their own awareness through the process of uh, my live training is the 11-week program where they um, uh, talk uh, to some of my teammates. I've trained people and they're teaching the class and they spend a day on each one of the nine dimensions and how it applies to their personal life. Because uh, as a society, as humans, we are so on the rat wheel. We are so following Especially in our twenty, in our twenties, we're just figuring what we're supposed to do. But by thirty and forty, and often fifty, we're on that red wheel. We're chasing the money. We're chasing the big car. Chasing the position. We're chasing this and chasing that, and making our kids smart and doing right and doing what what they say. And so, some people have called that obedience. The other interview that I had from the girl that I talked about walk-ins uh, told me that she felt I was I have a different kind of obedience, mm. obedience to my assignment. And she said the people on her on her on her cause that she interviewed usually have obedience to society's rules. And I'm saying that to be authentic, you got your own personal rules and they may not be in alignment with society's rules. And which is really more important to you? Which do you really want to say at the end of the day, when you go to your judgment day, which rules do you want to say you follow? The ones that society gave you or the ones that your spirit gave you? that maybe someone told you not to believe in, but which are really uh, very, very important and really a part of who you are. So that's to me, obedience and discipline, discipline to the assignment and not letting uh, all the hedonic things of the world detract me from uh, the things that I'm sent to do, which are not so hedonic. I, I love the way you bring obedience into discipline. I've talked to so many people. Nobody has once brought up that that phrase, that that word. And you know, you could draw a straight line with with obedience uh, and discipline. That's a great connection. That's uh, that's well said, Norma Hollis. What motivates you? Going back to where I came from um, and being um, congratulated for the job I did. Hmm. So then how do you measure success? Um, I don't know that I try, I'm not trying to measure it. You know, my friends already tell me I'm very successful. I don't have, I haven't gotten the financial success that I feel is coming one day, but I do have, I've touched a lot of people and changed a lot of lives and impacted people. And I've taught people my system and they're out there training it now. Uh, my uh, bigger goal is to get out there in the world. I'm now getting, I'm speaking at a at the first metaverse um, gathering of speakers, it's the first ever, uh, uh, September 30th to October 2nd. It will be broadcast um, all over the world. Every country in the world is going to have an opportunity to see my avatar wow. um, speaking. And so uh, it's coming true. So all I needed to do was be patient. Um, follow the instructions, um, not, uh, don't break any more bones and, uh, pay, you know, be obedient and, 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 and just, you know, follow instructions and not get anxious, uh, and just trust. And it's a high level of trust, a high level of trust and faith. 
Well, I hope that people that listen to you speak get as much enjoyment as, as I do out of talking to you and, and learning about you. Uh, I really, really appreciate your time today. How can people get in touch with you? Well, uh, LinkedIn is a really good place. Uh, and particularly if you do, then let me know that you came from this uh, show. I get a lot of LinkedIn requests. Most of them want to sell me something. So I ignore mm. most of them. So please, if you reach out, let me know that you heard me on Joey's show and then we'll create, create a conversation. If you want to know about, um, I do have an, I have a new uh, program that I just launched uh, earlier this month that I'd like to send people to. And this is my online training in the nine dimensions of authenticity that will take you deeper into yourself to understand yourself uh, in, a, um, in a deeper way. And it's that authenticityyou.com. Uh, and you just go there, um, and you know, and there's a, there's a beautiful sale uh, page, uh, introductory landing page to tell you about it. Yeah, and nice. if you're interested, you know, uh, reach out to me. And then uh, the other thing you can do if you don't do LinkedIn and don't want to go to Authenticity You, then you can send an email to coaching at normalhollis.com. And we'll make sure to put those all in the show notes. Norma Hollis, just a wonderful time, wonderful pleasure talking with you today. I really appreciate your time. And uh, I know you're in the greater Los Angeles area. My daughter just graduated Cal State. If I'm in the area, maybe we'll get a cup of coffee. That'd be wonderful. I would love that. Please do. <laughs> Thank you so much. You be well, and I hope to see you soon. And you too. Thank you so much, Joey. I've appreciated it. Thank you for listening and or viewing Joey Pinn's Discipline Conversations. Please share this episode with one or two of your friends who you think may benefit from the episode. Our website, www.joeypins.com. There you find lots of resources and you could join our mailing list. Please follow us on all our social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Podcast information, the video version of our podcast is on YouTube. Please subscribe. Audio is on all major podcasting platforms. Please follow them. And if you like it, please consider giving five-star rating. Would really appreciate that. Would you like to financially support the podcast? You can go to our Patreon site. Consider five, ten, or twenty dollars a month. There's all kind of plans that we have there. It's like a one-time payment. What is this podcast episode worth to you? $25, $50, $100, $500, $1,000, $5,000. You be the judge. You can go to our PayPal account to do that as well. Thank you again for listening or watching Joey Pinn's Discipline Conversation.